Can I just say that you guys are the best? You guys are the best. Man, I tell you what, I, we, we have the best people at Cape Christian. Last weekend we said, hey, if some of you would be willing to try out Saturday service because we could use room, and then you delivered, you're here. And so you're here, and I want to thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, and I'm so excited because I am so pumped to preach this message. But I want to I take a minute. i got to address a couple things. First, I want to talk about Serve Day for a minute. We've only really ever done this one time. And so I want to address a couple things for those of you who don't know what Serve Day is or Serve Weekend, as we call it. Um, one of the things that we feel about our church is that we are spiritual contributors and not spiritual consumers. Amen. Meaning that we are, the church doesn't just exist for us, but we are the church and we exist for the world. And that can be a nice thing on the wall, but we believe that, um, that it's more about what you do than what you say. And so um, one weekend every year, we plan to, um, instead of have services for us, go be a picture of what Jesus looks like in our community. And so we have 75 to 100 service projects planned throughout Lee County, Charlotte County, um, where we are going to go serve our city, be the light of Jesus. We did this in November of 2018. Um, and so rather than have service that weekend, we won't have any services. We won't have anything online. We're just going to go serve our city. Um, with, we're hoping to have over 2,000 of us join. We had about 1,500 the first time. And man, it was just, it was so amazing to be a part of. And so we are asking every single one of you that weekend, we want you to sign up for a project, sign up for Serve Day. It's going to be that first full weekend in March, uh, as Julie just said on the announcements. But also we need project leaders. And here's what you need to know. We've already found the projects. We've got the stuff. We just need a point person that would lead that. And so we need about 10 or 15 people per service to say yes to that this week. It's not a lot of extra work. Um, a lot of you did it last time. And so if you would please be willing to just uh, lead one of those teams or be a project point person is really what that means. We need that to happen. And so um, I just, I'm, I'm compelling you to, to not just prioritize that weekend, but um, also we need team leaders. Um, I also want to address one other thing that, that comes up and, and it's dear to our heart as well is the question is, if we don't have services here, what about the people who are coming looking for hope or looking for a church? We will have a prayer team and a ministry team here on our campus that we can take people in, that we can pray for people, we can minister to them. In fact, we did this the first time and what happened for most of them is we were able to share who we are, we were able to pray with them, and then we were able to actually send them to go join a serve team project and it was a game changer for some of them. And so we want you to know we are thinking about the people who will be coming here for the very first time, which happens all the time as well. And so uh, for us, it's both and. So um, we're so excited about Serve Weekend uh, to be a light to our city, uh, just to show people the love of Jesus. And, um, and we want everybody to be a part of that. Now, if you were here last weekend, we started our For Everyone series. We are launching our For Everyone campaign um, because for us, it is an opportunity for us to expand. We have vision. We are excited about what God is doing. Um, if you were not here last weekend or you watch online and you didn't see last weekend's message, please go watch that message because we laid out the vision. We told the story of our history. We talked about the needs. We talked about how everybody could be a part of it. Uh, and I just want to address something right up front. Every weekend this month, we are not just going to be talking about buildings and talking about money. We've heard some of you are like, is that what it's going to be? No, no. We have a message series planned, but we had to tell the story. We have to present the need because the reality is three or 4,000 people come every weekend and only about 12 or 1,400 people have signed up for vision nights and we needed everybody to hear it at least one time. And so um, for those of you who aren't aware, we're starting a three-year campaign. We're going to expand our campus. We're gonna, we want to reach more people. Um, we're going to expand our kids' ministry, our pre-K. And so we're asking everybody to pray uh, for a few things. We're asking you to pray, for, pray with us. 
Uh, throughout the month of February, when you walked in, you got your prayer guide. We have an everyday prayer guide through the month of February. This is week two um, to sit down with your family, your friends, um, your kids, and, and just pray about what God would have you do. We're asking everybody to ask the Lord, what can you give? Um, you have a commitment card, and we're asking you just to hold on to these, and we're going to do a one-time Kickstarter offering at the end of this month, February 29th and March 1st. And then we're also looking for a three-year commitment. What can you do over the course of three years? And if you will please come to a vision night, we talk about that more in depth. Um, we tell more stories uh, and we talk about how we can do these. And so we really want those of you who haven't signed up yet to make a, uh, make a, a priority to being at one of our vision nights. In fact, uh, today after service, I'm going to run to another uh, vision night tonight because I'm so excited about what God is doing. Um, another part of this, uh, just this for everyone campaign, which is we are a church for everyone is the other ask is not just to pray, not just to pray about giving and thinking about what can we make a part of this? Um, but who do you need to invite to a faith journey? Who do you need to invite to church? Because we are a church for everyone. And in order for us to be a church for everyone, it's going to take everyone doing their part. And we are a, a church of bringers and inviters. And in fact, that's what we're going to talk about uh, tonight. And then the other ask was if you would be willing to maybe make room and give up your seat on a Sunday morning for a Saturday. Uh, and, and look at you. Like this place is like incredible. So... Um, so I haven't said this for a while, so here's how this is going to go. I'm going to dive into the message here in just a minute. But uh, I, I do better when you talk back to me. Uh, and so this is meant to be a conversation, interaction. Um, if I say something you like, you can just say, uh, amen, dilly, dilly, hooty, who, preach it, pastor, like whatever works for you, um, whatever denominational grounds you have or lane you run in. Um, and so the better you listen, the, the better you're going to get of me. And so if this message is average, it's really just your fault. Um, because your job is to bring the best out of me and I'm going to give you my best. And so, uh, I'm ready to get into this message. I think this is, um, so cool because again, last week we told the story, we had to talk about money and I'll just say this. Sometimes you got to talk about money. Jesus talked about money. And when we do talk about money, it's going to be the way Jesus talked about it. And it's not going to be all the time. I promise you that. Okay. Um, and so we have, we want to talk about that last week had to happen. But these next three weeks are why next last week had to happen. We want to talk about why for everyone. Why do we need to expand? Why does this matter? Why does it require all of us being a part of this? And I, I love this week what we have planned because this message today is going to be the heart of our church. It's going to be the heart and the mission of Jesus. Uh, it's also really important to understand your identity of who you are in Christ. And this is why we exist. And so uh, we're going to look at one of the core themes of the gospel, one of the core themes of the Bible, which is one of the core themes of who we are as a church, which is why we believe that we can be a church for everyone. And the, and the simple, the theme is this, you are invited, say invited. invited, you are invited into God's family. This is one of the core themes of the whole book is that you have a standing invitation to God's family. I don't know about you, but I think one of the worst feelings is to be left out or to be uninvited. I don't know if you've ever gone uh, like on social media and you go on Instagram or Facebook and then you realize all of your friends were in the same place at the same time and somehow you didn't get invited and you, something in you goes, man, what happened with that? I have an invitation right here. Tonight is about an invitation. It's not an invitation to give. It's not an invitation to build. It's an invitation into life change. It's an invitation into a family. Um, uh, 
I remember uh, growing up, I went to a different school away from some of the kids in my town. And so it was a regular occasion that because of that, some of my friends would have a birthday party that I wouldn't get invited to. And they would, I would hear, I just assumed that because you lived further away, it wouldn't work for you. And I always thought to myself, I would rather say no for myself than you just say no for me. You know what I'm saying? And so if you've ever not been invited or felt like you were on the outside looking in, I think you're going to be able to connect to the story tonight. Um, in fact, I heard a pastor, true story, I heard a pastor tell this story. Um, this was years and years ago. He was traveling to, he was traveling to speak at, uh, as a guest speaker at another church. And they had two services. It was a small church. There was about 40 people in each service. And so he preaches the first service, uh, about 40 people. And then he was out in the lobby greeting between the first and the second service. And the receptionist runs up to this pastor in between services. Pastor, you have to preach a good message this next service. To which he kind of was like, well, did I not do a good job the last service? Or like, why are you saying this? She said, we have a guest coming this service. And, and he says, well, how do you know we have a guest? She says, this almost never happens, but somebody called and asked for directions. And so somebody new is coming. And so this pastor was like, awesome, I can't wait. Well, he, he tells the story. He says, I, as soon as she got out of the car, I could tell she was the guest because she was dressed a little bit different than all the other ladies. This was one of those churches where all the ladies wore dresses and they dressed up and the men wore suits and they dressed up and, and you could tell she was timid and he, he watched her actually from the lobby take her time, get out of her car, walk up by herself. And he was about to shake her hand and introduce himself as the guest preacher. And one of the greeters stepped in front and cut him off. True story. And the greeter says this, young lady, is that the best clothing you have? He said, because I don't know where you're from, but around here, we wear our, bring our best to God's house. And in shame and in horror, she turned around, went back to her car. And I don't know what happened to her, but he, she did not come to church because it was very evident that it was not okay to come as you were, that there was a certain behavior, a certain way you had to look. This story mortifies me. In fact, we have staff members. There's another, there's people on our staff who at one time worked for a church where they had a church of a certain kind of affluence and, but they started this outreach to the community and they had the, uh, this service in the gym and they were reaching more of the poor and kind of some of the downtrodden and some of the broken and they were just coming in droves. Well, those people they were reaching on the week started coming to the service on the weekend. And so, so many of them that some of the comfortable, affluent, and this isn't against affluence, trust me, it's not against affluence, uh, but, but some of them, they started to get a, a little bit uncomfortable. And the pastor came to the other staff member and says, hey, we were wondering, so many of, of the people from the outreaches are coming to service. We were wondering if you could just do your own service over in the gym for those people. And they said that was when we knew this was no longer going to be the church that we could be at because... We are here for those people. In fact, we are those people. And if we ever, for one minute, forget that we either weren't or aren't those people, we don't really understand the message of Jesus at all. And so those stories should not ever happen here at Cape Christian. We are the opposite of that. We are a church for everyone, and we are invited. Uh, and so uh, if you've ever felt unworthy, if you've ever felt unwanted, if you've ever felt uninvited, um, you, I want you just to understand one of the greatest truths of, not, of the gospel of Jesus, not religion, not Christianity. One of the greatest truths is that Jesus invites the people others reject. Jesus invites the people others reject. By the way, if you haven't got out your planner yet, you missed both of the blanks already. So sorry about that. <laughs> Jesus invites 
Those people that others reject. And if Jesus is that way, if Jesus is an inviter, if he invites people into his family, if he's for everyone, we want to be that way as well. And so today I want to talk about the fact that you are invited to the family of God, that you are invited. And I want to dive deep into this story. I want to unpack this. I think you're going to love this. I think it's going to challenge and motivate and inspire you. I want to dive deep into a story. And as we do every week, we want to talk about the there and then aspect. We want to know the words of the Bible so we can know the words of the Bible. So, so uh, let's talk about the there and then for a minute. Say there and then. There and then. So there and then. This is happens. The story is about Jesus. If you don't know the story, Jesus showed up on earth about 2,000 years ago claiming to be the son of God. He claimed to be God. He wasn't the only person in history that did that, but he did it in a little bit of a different way where people started to take notice. And so Jesus claims to be the son of God and he preaches and he teaches and he heals and he includes and people have taken notice. And so the, the buzz around this Jesus guy was, should we believe him? He really might be, or is he just crazy? Now, if you understood those times, he was of the Jewish descent of Israelite if you would have thought if he really was the son of God, that Jesus would have been in favor of a group called the Pharisees. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, that's okay. A lot of us are learning. Uh, the Pharisees was kind of this religious elite groups who had every letter of the law and they were the teachers and they were the best. And so um, these Pharisees, you would have thought if Jesus really was God, he would have favored the most religious group in that culture. The Pharisees were outwardly pious they were visibly religious. Uh, they had these long flowing robes with these long prayer tassels, and they had these long elaborate prayers in the synagogue and in the, in, and, and in the public. Um, they had this impressive knowledge of the Old Testament, the, the, the words of God. Um, and so surely these, these people, they, were, they knew the law, they knew the cleanliness laws. They would never be around anybody unclean. They would never be around anybody unpure. They would never be around anybody sinless. In fact, they would walk on the other side of the road if they saw somebody that might taint them or stain them coming. So surely if Jesus were God, he would join in with the Pharisees and he would be the greatest among them, right? That was the thought in those days. And so there's a story about one day a Pharisee throws a party and they invite Jesus. And as was typical, when religious people invited Jesus to things, it went terribly for them. <laughs> and Jesus was showing what the heart of God really was. And so we're gonna open the scripture here in just a second, but first let's just pray and let's ask God to speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, we open up our hearts and we open the room for you to speak. God, I pray that this story would come alive to us, that we would know um, that we are invited into your family uh, and, and that we would, uh, if we've never, <laughs> receive that invitation, that that would become so real to us today. And if we have, that we would feel compelled to go bring others with us. Speak to us through your word like only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're talking about the there and then. We're going to be reading out of Luke chapter 7. If you have your Bibles or you have your app and you want to go there and follow along, Luke chapter, chapter 7. So a party in a Pharisee's house was very different than a party like we would know it today. Um, they wouldn't have just roasted hot dogs. They wouldn't have just listened to the latest Jewish rap songs, uh, Matis Yahoo or whoever it was. Um, when a Pharisee threw a party, they would gather and it would be this intentional gathering. Of course, there would be invitations. Uh, only those who would be invited could come. And it was kind of this who's who of the Pharisees and the religious people. Um, and then they would put on this display of a conversation of all the weighty and lofty things of, of the world and of the Bible and of, of the text and of religion, um, important and impressive things. And it was kind of this public display, this public discussion um, to show off their wealth 
of knowledge of things and the things of God. And it became a public spectacle because when they would have a party, they would have a party in what was called the outer room. It would be the outside of a house. And in most of the houses in those days, that outer room would actually have a porch to it where public could kind of come and gather. And the Pharisees would intentionally leave the doors open knowing that people would want to gather because this is what everybody aspired to be. And so they would gather on the porch and you would literally crowd in to listen to these who's who elite religious people talk about the weighty lofty things of politics and religion and, and, and all these things. And so people that weren't invited would stand on the porch and lean in and try to listen and glean. And you have to understand, why would people come and listen? Well, this was 2000 years ago. They didn't have Wi-Fi. They didn't, they didn't have Fortnite and they didn't have Battlefront and they didn't have, you know, you couldn't binge watch your stuff on Netflix. No one was turning to, you know, binge watch Real Housewives of Jerusalem or, you know, anything like that. Um, so, so this was, thank you. See, you're a good crowd. You're a good crowd. You get what I'm saying. You're a smart audience. Dilly dilly. Let's go. Let's just have some fun in church. Listen, I, I got to warn you, if you're new here, church should be enjoyed. And many, too many people had to endure it. And so we are a church that has fun because we believe if God is really our heavenly father, that good fathers love it when their kids have fun in their presence. Amen. Um, so uh, I don't know any other way to do it. So, um, so Jesus, so this, is, so this is the spectacle. So Jesus got an invitation to this party. And so Jesus comes to this party and it was a man of the Pharisees. The name was Simon and he invites Jesus to this party. And so um, something happens in this party that would have appalled all the guests. It would have been one of the just the most shocking things you could ever experience. And so um, Jesus goes to this party. It's all this Pharisees. You have this crowd probably on the, the outer courts or on the outer gates uh, of the outer room of the house listening in from the porch. And all of a sudden, somebody bursts into the party that wasn't invited. And they came in uninvited, and this would have been so shocking. It would have been something they never would have experienced, and the Pharisees would have hated every single moment of it. So I want to dive into this story. In Luke chapter 7, it says this. It says that a woman that was in town who lived a sinful life. Say sinful life. Sinful now life. let me just pause there for a second. When it says that word sinful life, that's fancy literature for the town prostitute. When it says she lived a sinful life, we know from context and from history, this woman sold herself. She was a prostitute. So this woman who has a sinful life, she is, she is coming into this room. So let's just stop here. There's a party. It's the who's who. Invitation only. And all of a sudden, you have these Pharisees, and she pops in and interrupts this party. They're waxing eloquently. They're impressing their guests and impressing each other and everybody's listening. And all of a sudden, a call girl walks into this dinner party and everyone gasps and loses their mind. I mean, they're thinking, this isn't right. She wasn't invited. She's sinful. She's impure. She's unclean. She doesn't belong here. She's a sinner. We don't associate with those people. She's not worthy. She wasn't invited. Who invite? What makes her thinks that she can be with the likes of us? And here's what it says. A woman in that town who had been, lived a sinful life, the town call girl, the town prostitute, had learned that Jesus was eating at Simon the Pharisee's house. So she came in there with an alabaster jar of perfume. 
Now, before we go any further, I want to pause here for a minute. I want to, I want to take a little bit of creative liberty, but I don't think it's going to take much creativity to get inside the life and get inside the mind of this woman if we can. Sometimes if you can put yourself in the shoes of the story, it makes a whole lot more of a personal connection, even if you don't live the same lifestyle. So I want to understand what it was like to be this young, hurting girl. And I'm going to be a little creative with the situation. I can't prove all of this or any of, most of it. But I, but I will say this. With all of my heart, I believe this. While she probably had made some wrong decisions, while she had maybe made some mistakes, I would be willing to bet my life that when she was an 11-year-old girl, she never dreamed of becoming the town prostitute. I would, I would bet my life to go, I don't know the story, but I know that when she was at a slumber party with the 11-year-olds and they were playing light as a feather or do truth or dare or whatever the case may be, and they were going, hey, what are we going to be when we grow up? And oh, I'm going to be Mary Kay and I'm going to sell It Works and I'm going to be in real estate and I'm going to be the first woman president. She's like, I'm going to be a hooker. Like, <laughs> I, I just don't think that happened. In fact, I can promise you she never said that. So I think we could probably all agree that that was not her her dream of her life. So we kind of have to ask ourselves the question, if that's not what she dreamed of when she was young or growing up, we have to maybe think about why and how did she get there? What was going on with this woman? See, here's what you have to understand about that sinful life, that, that town prostitute. That was not a lucrative deal back in those days. It was not a profitable career like it is today. In fact, it was shameful. It was dark. It was dismissive. It was degrading. And for most women, it was just a means of survival. So how did she get there? Well, I have some ideas, some thoughts. And again, speculating on all this. Perhaps she had a dad who was distant and uninterested. Maybe he didn't protect her from the, right, the wrong stuff. Maybe he wasn't there. Maybe she got involved with the wrong people. Maybe she just never knew the, 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 the love, the true love of a man or a father. Maybe worse. Maybe her dad was too involved. Maybe he was too into his daughter. Maybe he was twisted and he abused her. Maybe it got sexual and she got confused from an early age. I don't know. Maybe both of her parents died when she was young. Maybe she's 11, 12, 13, and she's the oldest of several siblings. And her younger siblings are crying, going, we're hungry, we're hungry, we can't eat, we're starving. And she knows the only way for her to provide for her younger siblings so they can survive is to do something that she hates every minute of so she can take care of her others. And by the time they grow up, she doesn't know how to get out of it and she can't get out of it. Which, by the way, parents dying and you fending for yourself was very common in those days. Maybe she had been exposed to some of the wrong guys, had been pressured sexually or emotionally, and, and things just went wrong. We could speculate all we want. I don't know. But here's what I, can, I know, and I would imagine you would agree with me if you have a heart. She never wanted that lifestyle. Because everywhere she went, men used her and abused her. Everywhere she went, women would have glared at her, scorned at her, whispered when she walked by. People would have walked on the other side of the street. They would have glared hatefully. She would have felt so judged. She would have, and here's what I know. She would have never felt loved. She would have felt ashamed. And she never, ever would have been invited anywhere fun, anywhere that mattered, or anywhere safe. So we don't know how she got there, but we know that she, we can probably agree she didn't want this. Maybe she felt like maybe many of us feel. Not good enough. Guilty. Unwanted. Maybe 
Maybe you're in a situation in your life and you go, man, how, like her, how did I ever end up here? This is never the dream I wanted. I, how did I, I never in my wildest dreams thought I would be bankrupt or divorced or wealthy, but with no friends and no purpose or, or with, I would have never imagined I would have lost contact with my children and life would have had me here. Maybe she's like some of us. Nonetheless, we can probably agree she didn't choose that life for herself. So what does she do? So she breaks into this elite who's who party. What does she do? Check it out. The next verse, verse 38 says this. As she stood behind, she went, beelines it straight to Jesus. At his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. Now, there's so much symbolic significance that's happening here, and I don't have time to go all the way into depth of all of it, but when it says she poured perfume, there's a whole lot of significance there, and here's why. Um, the, the perfume that she would have had would have been her most significant um, asset. It was her most valuable possession, and here's why. Because in those days, perfume was very rare. Perfume was very expensive. Most women in that culture and in those days never wore perfume. In fact, the, ba- the, the alabaster jar, they estimate, was worth a year's worth of wages or a year's worth of salary. And she, in a moment, in an instant, breaks it. And not only was it rare, but it would have been kind of her future. This was a huge thing she's doing. She breaks it. This was her nest egg because if you were a woman in those days and you had perfume, that was literally your calling card. It was your business card. You would walk through the streets and a man would smell you. And oh, oh, there she goes. It was literally you telling them, I am someone who sells my services. I am someone who sells my body. I am someone who sells myself. This is how I make my living. And so most women didn't have this. And so the fact that she willfully breaks this, not only is she getting rid of worth, not only is she getting rid of something that has monetary value, but she's literally saying, I'm walking away from my future. This is her business card. It's like shutting down your website and your Facebook account. (laughs) And in one single act, she falls to his feet and she breaks it. She shatters it, and she's just weeping uncontrollably so much. She's like, oh, my gosh, I don't have a towel. And she starts to dry Jesus' feet with her hair, which also matters. Because in those days, uh, in public, it was forbidden for women to unbind their hair. So she has lost all of her dignity. She is, she is putting it all in in this one moment of Jesus at this party where she is not even welcome, that she's not even inviting, and she's breaking all the rules. So she can get a moment at the feet of Jesus. It says she wiped them. You can, it says she wiped the feet with her, with her tears. Didn't have a towel. She, what, what was she experiencing? She was so overwhelmed in that moment with the love of Jesus, with the grace of Jesus, with the, she just can't help but worship. She can't help but adore him. Some of you, you come in here every weekend and the, and the music comes on and you can't help but lose yourself in worship because you're so aware of what Jesus has done for you. Some of you, you don't know why some of us lose ourselves in worship. It's because there's some parts of Jesus that you haven't gotten to experience yet, but we're really praying and believing that you will. And when you do, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks. You will break your alabaster jar. You will unbind your hair. You will weep at his feet. You will wash his hair. You won't care about your future because when he comes into your life and you understand what's happening with this woman, then all of a sudden everything changes and it doesn't, things that used to matter as much don't matter anymore. So she, so here's the scene. This is what's happening. And so the next verse, verse 39 says this, when the Pharisee who had invited him, his name was Simon, saw this, watch this. He said to himself, he thought, if this man really were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she's a sinner. Ha! 
all this Savior Jesus talk, if he really was God, if he really was a prophet, he would know we don't associate with her. He can't be God. And so Jesus goes savage in a moment. Like, it's so cool. And so Jesus is, if you read, I'm going to skip a few verses, but his next verse is like, hey, Simon, I got something I want to tell you. And it just happens to be addressing what his thought was. In fact, if you go through the Gospels, it's fascinating how many times people thought things and the next words out of Jesus' mouth were a response not to their actions, not to their behavior, not to their questions, but their thoughts. Because he knows our thoughts. And so he goes, hey, Simon, by the way, I, I know you're maybe thinking if I knew who this woman was, I, I, I would treat it differently if I was really God. Um, I have something I'd like to tell you. So jump down to verse 44 and he says this. Then he turned towards the woman and he said to Simon, you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. Next verse. You did not put oil on my head, but instead she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. See, what he says right before this is if if you think you've only been forgiven a little, you're only going to love a little. But if you know that you've been forgiven a lot, you're going to love a lot. And he says, I came into your house. You didn't wash my feet. You didn't wash my hands. You didn't give me a kiss. You've been skeptical from the beginning. This woman didn't care that she didn't have an invitation. And she bolted in and she's crying at my feet. She's kissing my feet. She's offering to do all the stuff you should have done. I tell you what, her sins are forgiven. And Jesus, this is the best part. He's, Jesus, in front of this pious, pharisaical group with the people on the porch, he looks at her and he goes, your sins are forgiven. How do you think that sat with the religious elites? Yeah, come on. Jesus is awesome. In the middle of all of this, because of her one act of abandonment to worship, he says, you are forgiven. You are healed. You are whole. You have a new life. You have an identity. You belong to me. I accept you. This is the invitation. So, While it may seem like that should be the end of the message, we have to ask a really important question. What was going on in her head? I think it's fair that we ask, why did the woman risk so much to be at the feet of Jesus? Think about it. What happened? Because we read this like, oh yeah, that's awesome. No, 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 no. Why? Why would she do that? What made her think, I got to run home, I got to get my future, I got to get my jar, I got to get my perfume, I got to get to Jesus, it's going to be cool. There, I, what, something had to have happened to make her think this needed to happen. Again, I think she had obviously probably either heard him preach or teach or seen him do miracles or encountered his divine nature or seen his expression of unconditional love and inclusion and grace. And she thought to herself, I've tried everything and nothing has worked. Maybe, just maybe... This has worked. Why does she apparently rush across town when she hears Jesus is at a Pharisee's party? Why would she have walked past men who would have propositioned her, walked past women who would have sneered and glared, sneaked past the porch where they would have went, there she goes, endured all that humility? Why would she do that? Why would she have walked into the house of a Pharisee without an invitation? with Pharisees that wouldn't even walk on the same side of the street as her? Why would she have ignored every other person, 
and beelined it to Jesus. Well, I'll tell you what I think happened, and I, this isn't much of a leap. I think she knew there was an invitation. In the story in Luke right before this, it doesn't tell us. But what it does tell us, the same day that Jesus is in this town, it says that he has a conversation with the, the disciples of John the Baptist. They're questioning him. Well, Matthew chapter 11 tells the exact same parallel story. And in Luke chapter 7, we see that Matthew, or we see that, I'm sorry, Jesus has this conversation with John the Baptist's disciples. Well, in Matthew 11, we have this conversation with John the Baptist's disciples, but Matthew tells us what Jesus was preaching right before this conversation. And so we see in Matthew 11, the message that Jesus, this is, would have been the message that most likely, probably, perhaps she heard before there was ever a party at the Pharisee's house. And I'm going to summarize it, and then I'm going to show you the message. This is what she heard Jesus say in her town in that day that made her think, I got to go home. I got to get my stuff. I got to meet this Jesus says, this, this stuff. And here's what the message was. You are invited to God's family. You're invited. You're welcome. You're invited you're wanted, you're accepted, you, we want you to come and you are welcome to come as you are. This is what Jesus said. And Mike, most likely she would have been in the back of an audience because she would have been too ashamed to get to the front. They wouldn't have led her to the front. But earlier that day, Jesus comes into her life, comes into her town. And this is the message he gives Matthew chapter 28, verse 11. This is what Jesus's invitation was. Come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Can you feel his love in that statement? Imagine living this life for whatever reason, and all of a sudden Jesus shows up, and you're like, hey, what's he saying? And it's like, it sounds like he's saying everybody's welcome with him, but this guy's supposed to be God. This guy's supposed to be a religious leader. He's so much different than all the other people. And am I hearing this right? He's saying, come to me. His love, he's saying, come to me if you're overwhelmed with guilt. Come to me if you carry unbearable shame. Come to me if you feel like you can't live up to your own standard or the standard of God. Come to me if you feel like you've been rejected again and again and again. Come to me if you feel like religion has turned you away. Or come to me if you didn't have the right clothes to wear to a church service. Come to me if you didn't feel like the church service was for your people, but it was for the other people. Come to me if you've lost hope. Come to me if you're desperate. Come to me. Just come. That's the message. You come to me when you're weary, when you're overwhelmed. Why? So I can judge you? No. If you're weary and overwhelmed and burdened, so I can give you a heavenly rest. And then he says this, in case you're wondering what kind of a God I am and what kind of a relationship this will be, what kind of a life this will be, what kind of a person I am, he says, take my yoke upon you. That's my, my, my interpretation of the law. It's my way of living. My yoke upon you. And learn from me, he says, for I am gentle. I'm humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says you're invited. He says you're welcome into God's family. He says, my father sent me to tell you that he loves you and you're welcome at the table. You're welcome in the family. You're welcome in the party. And it doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter the shame. It doesn't matter the guilt. My dad sent me here with one message. 
everybody's welcome. You're all invited into God's family. And can I just point something out? Can I point something out? I think this is really important. Pointing out this woman's sins didn't lead her to leave a lifestyle of sin. Judging her lifestyle didn't cause her to change her lifestyle. Shaming her from what she did didn't heal her from her painful past. What is it that caused her to leave her lifestyle? What is it that caused her to, to stop doing that? What is it that caused her to leave the lifestyle of sin? It was the grace and goodness and love and acceptance and invitation of a loving God who came to invite you into his family because other people who the world rejects, he says, you're welcome in my family. That's what Jesus is. You have to understand this because Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. Jesus didn't come for the self-proclaimed righteous. He didn't come for the pious. He came for the hurting. He came for the broken. And he came for repentant sinners. And he, he says, come, come know my grace. Come know my love. Come know my transformational forgiveness. And, and come know, come with your doubts. Come with your fears. Come with all the stuff you have. Just come, come ashamed. Come with your past. Come with your baggage. Come. And this is the best part. He says, and don't come alone. Bring somebody with you. Invite somebody. Don't come alone. Come. Who's worried? Who's buried? Who's burdened? Who's ashamed? Who's overwhelmed? Bring them with you. You come. You come. This is the heart of the gospel. This is the heart of our church. I've been in this. I've heard too many stories like the one I told you at the beginning. The lady that was shamed. The church that was for the other people. So I always said, if I'm going to have a church, I want to have. A, I want that lady to feel welcome. I want to have a church for that lady. I want to have a church for those people. I want to have a church where it's okay to come as you are with your questions and your doubts and your fear, because I want it to be like Jesus, where we're for everyone and everyone's invited. And we just say, just come. And you can have hangups and you can have religious baggage and you can have it and just come. Why? Why is that? Why is that the case? Why? Because we all keep re-needing Jesus every single day. The ground is absolutely level at the cross. There's no tear and caste system here in the kingdom. And there's no tear and caste system here at Cape Christian. So come. I told you every week, we're, we do have to build a building. We do need to raise money. Why? It's not for buildings. We value people. We want life changes. We want stories. We want to see real life stories of what's happening in this woman. And they're happening here. And we want space for more of those. I have the privilege of sharing every week a story of what God is doing right here and right now through this ministry. And I can't wait for you to hear the story this week. Hi, my name is Kevin McBride. I've been coming to Cape Christian for three and a half months. Um, I was brought up in an alcoholic household. Um, I was the four, fourth out of five children. You know, I was brought up in the 70s and 80s, and uh, anything that my family did revolved around drinking. My wife and I were living in Palm Coast in Northeast Florida. Um, we both picked up drinking together after a period of sobriety. Um, our relationship really took a downturn. Thank God my wife was smart enough. She took her children and came down to here to stay with family. Um, I continued to drink up there for a few more months. You know, it affected me when I was sitting home alone at night, going through my head and just looking around and saying, where's my children? Where's my wife? You know, um, and I, I just packed up everything into my truck and drove down here from Palm Coast without even a plan. I didn't know what was going to happen. 
we met up so that he could see his children and um, I continued to live where I was at my sister's house and he uh, continued to drink. I had made the decision that because um, he was continuing to drink I was um, going to be done with the marriage. So I went and I got all the paperwork um, and I signed it and I had it with me. I just had to drop it off and notarize it. And then something happened. I was taking my two children to a park and I took them to a park in Northwest Cape, further up, and they were out playing and I was just sitting with a father and I was saying, what a nice park this is. And he goes, you think this one's good? You gotta see this park over on Chiquita. They got a splash pad, they got basketball courts, and he was telling me about the park. So I just thought it was a county park or whatever, so he gave me directions. I said, come on kids, let's go. And I got him in a car and we came here. When I came here and I seen the park, I, w I was, you know, I'm a, I'm a contractor by trade, I'm a plumber, so I'm looking around, I'm going 200, 300, and I'm adding this up and I'm going, they did all that for the community. I was living at the corner of Cape Coral and Chiquita Boulevard, about four miles away from the church. It was a miserable, cold, pouring rain. And I walked to church about four miles. And when I walked in, the first person I seen was Pastor Dennis. Pastor Dennis sat down and sat with me for about 45 minutes. And it was the first time I ever experienced anything like this. Like I told them everything that was going on in my life. I wanted to kill myself. I, I, I didn't want to live no more. I was in too much pain. I felt like I had nowhere to turn to. I didn't feel like I deserved God at that point. You know, I felt unworthy. And um, I, I went into so many things with him. And then he said, hold on, let's pray. Anyone who is dealing with an addiction or alcoholism, we always try to fix everything ourselves. You know, like I was told never to give up, never, you know, keep fighting, keep fighting. And the thing that I had to learn was I had to surrender in order to win. But I surrendered to God. I haven't had the thought of a drink in about 60 days. And, and that's a miracle. And that is not of my own doing because I really stink at staying sober. God's doing it for me. And I, I believe that this place was what changed. So we continued coming to Cape Christian and my children continued to come to Cape Christian. And um, my faith was restored. I saw a side of my husband I hadn't seen in quite some time. I saw this man who wanted to be involved with the church and wanted to be involved with his children. I have an amazing relationship with my wife and children now. You know, we just completed the 21-day prayer series together, you know, from the month of January. And it just brought our family so close. And uh, I'm really excited to be a part of Cape Christian. I was brought up with a punishing God. You know, if you did this, God was gonna get you. You were going to hell, you were going to purgatory. And uh, that's the message I got. So who did I have to turn to? You know, if I turned to God, he was gonna punish me. You know, and uh, I don't believe that no more. I have a forgiving, loving, caring God. And he wants the best for me.
here you are in the front row. Welcome home. We're so glad you're part of the family. What else do I need to say? It doesn't get any better than that. That's the transforming, overwhelming, never-ending, indescribable love of Jesus that can do more in seven days than in a lifetime. This story is happening in front of our face. It was Christmas when he came. This is happening right now. And they're here. And God is just overwhelming, providing jobs and healing and restoring. And they represent one of just many families in our church. Why? Because he said, I used to think God was this punishment God, but now I understand he's just extending an invitation. Come with your doubts. Come with your pain. Come with your fear. Come with your addiction. Come with your problems. Come, just come and bring people with you. That's why we're here. That's why for everyone. That's why a bigger building. It's why we got to raise money. We don't want, nobody wants to raise money. Nobody wants to build buildings, but that's what I'm in it for. This is what I'm talking about. This right here. So I wonder if we can all pray together as we close. Just right where you're at. I want to ask a couple questions. Number one, I wonder how many of us would say after hearing this, I'm a, faithful, I'm a faithful follower of Jesus, but there is someone in my life that I care about that isn't. Maybe a husband, a wife, maybe a child, a parent, a friend, somebody you work with. And you want to pray that today they would experience God's presence and love and grace. If you're here today and, and you would say, I'm a faithful follower of Jesus, but there's someone in my life I care about. I want to pray. Would you just lift your hand up, pastor, pray with me? I want to pray. We're going to pray together. I see those hands. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray for that. Let's pray and, and just agree with this in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, we thank you. God, we pray that you would inspire us as your church, as your family, to so fall in love with you and so fall in love with your kingdom that we compel people towards you, that we would show them what life and life abundantly looks like, that you would draw people by the power of your spirit, that you would make us as your children a living letter, a living invitation to others. And we pray, God, right now for those, those hands that went up, for those that don't yet know you, God, we won't judge their lifestyle, but we will lead them to you and we will let you heal and forgive and set free and transform and do what only you can do. God, we ask that you would make them new again, make us new again. We all need your forgiveness. We all need your grace. We all need your redemption. We all need your healing. So use us, God, to compel them to come in and experience you. As we keep praying, maybe you're here, you're watching or you're listening and you have a sense of maybe you felt unworthy, you felt guilty, and you know, man, this is what I need. I just want you to know you're invited. And if that's you and you want to say yes to the invitation today, I want you just to slip your hand up and put it right back down. I see those hands. I see those hands, hands all over the place. If you're watching online, you can click on the banner below. We want to pray and we want to include for you. We want to pray together. Who is Jesus? He was the son of God who lived a perfect life, then came and sacrificed for all of our mistakes, died on cross in our place, and then God raised him from the dead so that anyone, which includes you and me, who calls on his name will be saved, forgiven, healed, transformed, and experience new life, no matter what you've done, no matter how dark your life is, no matter where you've been, no matter how many secrets you have that no one knows. He hears our prayers, he forgives our sins, and he's inviting you into his family today. So in our church, nobody prays alone. So will you all stand if you're able? And let's pray this together. You're here and you're saying, I want to accept his invitation. I want to give my life to him. I want and need him as a part of my family. I'm going to invite you to pray this aloud with me. 
just together. Heavenly Father, forgive all my sins. Change my heart. Accept me now. Jesus, make me new and fill me with your spirit so I can know you and walk with you and serve you and compel others to know you. My life is not my own. I give it to you. I accept your invitation. Thank you for new life because of Jesus. And now you have my life in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can somebody give Jesus some praise today? Can somebody give Jesus some praise?